Now, I, I, I think about food and diverse food, and I, if you've never heard from Brother Escobar the things that he ate on his menu growing up as a child, you owe it to yourself to, to have that conversation with him. But there are things that you can eat here in Yakima that you really can't necessarily eat all over the place. And so the food and the parts of the culture are things that we love about that. Um, the size of the town and the fact that it's not too big and not too small. There are some small communities around. I mean, you go outside of the, the city limits and you can find, oh, wow, there really is a, there is a town of Outlook and people that just live in Outlook. And there is a, a town of Tyaton and the people that live there. And, and so there are pockets but overall, and I think it's been pretty well expressed that we can, um, you can go and do as you please because there's enough to do in the town with, with the town this size. But I don't know that I necessarily saw it this way, but uh, I am thankful that there's not the traffic that there is in other parts of this state. Amen. You drive, oh... You get, you get on the other side of the mountains, and um, it takes you a while to go wherever you're going. You've got to account for that. I'm thankful that we don't. When we, when we moved here in 2008, 2009, um, that, was a, that was a good change. I don't have to plan my day around traffic and sitting for a sometimes an hour or more you can just go where you want to go thank the lord for that um the scenery the orchards the vineyards and the agriculture and the scenery that comes with that the jobs that come with that this is a place where lots of people work i'm thankful for that amen the weather Somebody say amen. If you've lived in other places, then you know it's easy to take for granted the fact that we're probably going to have a dry day most of the time. And so I'm thankful for that. Amen. The sun, the seasons, all four seasons, yes, we do get those here. And as my wife said, the wind, that's a season of its own, I suppose, a daily season. But Yes, it's nice sometimes to just sit back and feel a breeze. I added, I like that this is a family town, as I called it. A place where you can raise a family, have uh, family values, and you're not thought of as strange necessarily for promoting and living by family values, like you might be in some other parts. I appreciate that here. The farming communities and the generational families that go along with that. That actually goes a long ways, I believe, into making this area what it is. There are uh, families that you can tell devoted their livelihood to being here. And then what all that has um, led to. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, lots to do here. It's a safe place. You might put dot, 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 because there's, there are some places safer than other places, at, like there is everywhere. 
This is, not a, this is not a commercial for Yakima. We're not trying to get people to move here. Uh, remember what we're doing. We're, we're, we're having the same thoughts, right? We're being like-minded, sharing what we're thinking about. There are, like it was said, opportunities to minister to a diverse group of people. Amen to that. Uh, the nature, the outdoors, all of that is things that we love about this place. Anybody want to share another one? Something that comes to your mind? Don't be shy. Brother Vance? I already took yours? Well, good. We have the same thoughts. <laughs> the food? Fuji. <laughs> yeah, Brother Vance had a d nice dining experience today. Yes. What else? What do you love about Yakima? The seasons, yes, having all of them. The produce, absolutely. The fresh food, the farm fresh food. Amen to that. Anybody else? Any thoughts? The different bodies of water, as in like the canals. <laughs> the, yes, the <laughs> yes, the lakes, the rivers, the creeks. Absolutely. And the canals. You don't get to see those everywhere either. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Absolutely. Hunting, camping, fishing. That's true. And it actually makes it easy to, to talk to people because, you know, hunters like to talk to hunters. Campers like to talk to campers. Outdoors people like... You know, it's kind of like you want to get away from everything and everyone, but when you're there with everybody else, you all are a community. And that's true. It's, it, it's, there is a thriving outdoors community. Definitely. Anybody else? Amen. Well, I'm thankful. Thankful that I get to be in Yakima. Praise God. Why don't you stand with me? Let's have a time of prayer here. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your spirit, God. I thank you for your presence that's here in this room with us tonight. God, I pray that you have your way among us, Lord Jesus, that you would speak your word to us. Let us know, know you, Lord, and know your word. Let us know your voice, Lord Jesus. And whatever you would share with us, Father, we are open to you, God. We desire to feel you and to know you. Jesus, I'm thankful to you. I'm thankful I get to be a part of this body, Lord Jesus. I believe you've called us here, God. You've placed us here for this time and for this season, Lord. I'm thankful for it, Jesus. Thank you for my brothers and my sisters, Lord, that are a part of this body. God, I pray for them right now. Let them be uplifted. Let them be encouraged in their spirits. God, let them be edified, I pray. Jesus, I give you thanks. I give you glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are good to me, Jesus. You are good to me, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. I was just reminded uh, 
I believe the Lord brought this into my memory. I've shared this with a few different people in, in different settings before, but um, so I grew up not in Yakima or anywhere near here or anywhere like here um, until I was in, I believe it was seventh grade. I was in the state of Tennessee, the city of Memphis, then just moved across the state line to Mississippi, but in the same area. And um, around, I think, age, between ages 11 and 12, my family moved to um, a church that really became an extension of my family. And our lives revolved around the church functions, the church activities. Throughout my teenage years, I was there at the church basically five days or nights out of the week, every week, daily. I mean, that was just, we went there Sunday for service, Monday night was prayer, Tuesday night, I don't remember what was Tuesday, that might have been our off night, Wednesday night was a regular Bible study like this, Friday nights were youth services, Saturdays were prayer meetings or other activities, and that was just regular for me. I believe it was intentional by my parents to get our family, my mom, my dad, my brother, and myself, into a church that would be that for us. And uh, there was a, a particular phase or instance throughout my high school years, um, all four of those years of high school, there was roughly 20 to 25 Pentecostal kids in those four years of high school. Some my grade, some before me or after me. But I went to a high school that had a Pentecostal community inside the high school. That's pretty different, right? Not most people get to experience that. Um, in my graduating class, there was at least 10 of us. And then in the classes before me and behind me had five to 10 at least in each of those classes. So um, I share that to say that my experience was quite different um, than most, and I am aware of that. I'm thankful for that. Uh, but it's, it, it, it's worth saying and worth noting for you when you think about me and where I grew up, what I came up in and around and Sometimes my stories probably don't seem anything like a world that other people have known or heard of before. Some of you were lucky to have another Christian influence in your high school besides yourself. Or maybe just a sibling in you or one good friend in you. Um, quite different, I know. Um, but... The past, the Lord has been kind of talking to me just a little bit here about the past. I want to take you back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. I read this on Sunday, and just want to, I just want to share this, what I feel in my spirit. As Christians, as apostolic Pentecostals who believe and know 
that we are only here temporarily because we have an eternity waiting on us in heaven with the Lord. I'm thankful for that. Our perspective is such, and that's, this is a unique perspective, our perspective is I'm just a pilgrim passing through. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger. I'm a foreigner in this world. It's not my home. I don't belong here. I'm not one of these. However you would categorize it, that's our mindset, and it's all future-driven, if I can put it that way. We live for the future. We live for the eternal. We, we look for, ex expect, and anticipate heaven and eternity with the Lord. At least that's maybe what we would profess. But we actually do live in the present. We live in today. We live in now. Some of you are getting over your day that you had today. Work or school or whatever else you did with your time. And you're kind of like, okay, I, only, I got a few more hours in this day before I go and repeat my responsibilities tomorrow. So we're kind of living in this little bit of a break between earlier today and tomorrow or the rest of this week. That's the present. So we, we might be say we're future-minded, but we are here in the present. But many of us, all of us really are product of our past. Where you came from. What your life experiences were up to this point. Some of us, that's good. Some of us, that's bad. Most of us, there were good and bad parts of our past. But those experiences make us who we are right now. And what I feel the Lord talking to me about is, to what degree is my past still affecting me today? Maybe it's appropriate to stop and ask, to what degree should it affect me and impact me? Should I, should I have no relation to my past at all and just say it's only about the future? Should I say, well, I'll try to take the good but leave the bad of the past and, and, and build upon that? Sometimes it's, well, I've seen in my past things, people, family members, relationships, and I know I don't want to duplicate that, so I'm trying everything opposite to that to be something other than that. But whatever it is, that's what I'm asking is, what's the appropriate measure or influence of the past on my present circumstances and on my future? This is where I, why I'm reading this verse again with Paul. He starts this chapter 3 by talking about his past. I was this. 
I was this. I, I lived like this, and I lived like this, and I had some experiences here in this area. In fact, he's actually saying, I was more zealous than most people. I had more energy. I had more uh, extreme experience than most people. If you want to talk about zealousness or excitement or zeal, I actually persecuted Christians. I wasn't just like this little, you know, casual observer that was watching life go by. I was jumping in with both feet and saying, let me go take those Christians, throw them in jail. That was me. Does that sound like zeal? Because that's the kind of zeal that I had. And you know what? I also learned more than most people. I had teachers that you all know only because of how good of teachers they were. They were my actual teachers. So I'm learned and I'm experienced and I've got zeal and I've got all this stuff in my past. But here's where he says it in verse 7. What things were gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ. I had them all in this category. Gain. Positive. Teaching, learning experiences. I had them in that category of my life. Pros, if you will. But in order... To have Christ. In order to have the right relationship and closeness with the Lord, I had to take all of those things that were on my pros list and change them to cons, to negative, to loss. Because the only thing that's in the pros category is Jesus Christ. Paul's perspective was, I can't, mm, Paul's perspective was, I can't be a good Christian and a good accountant. I can't be a good Christian and, hear me, hear me, this is going to sound crazy, I know, but stay with me. I can't view myself as wanting to be both a good Christian, a Christ follower, and a good husband. Why? Because I might say, well, as long as I'm a good husband, I can work a little more to be like Christ as I'm being a good husband. I can pat myself on the back. Or being a good employee. At least, I might not be a good Christian, but at least I got this job situation down. Or a good neighbor, or whatever it is. You fill in the blank. He says, I got to take everything, and in comparison to Jesus... And having the Lord in my life, those things cannot stack up in comparison to him. Paul knows if I get Jesus and I get like Jesus, I will be the husband, the employee, the neighbor, whatever it is that I'm supposed to be because I'm like Jesus. I, yes, this is that radical tonight.
in this world, in this time, in this society, you can become a perfected Christian without even knowing the Lord. I'll tell you what I mean by that. In our society today, we would say, well, have you, do you go to church? Yes, I go to church. Do you read your Bible? Yes, I read my Bible. <laughs> do you pray? Well, I, I spend time in my thoughts. Oh, that's good enough. I meditate. Okay, that's good enough. Do you do good things for other people? Yeah, I do. I'm, 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 I'm kind and I'm, I'm thoughtful and I do all those things. All right, hey, you, you sound like a good Christian to me. Wherein that is, do you have a good relationship with God? Well, he and I are kind of not getting along right now, but in the meantime, I'm going to keep feeding the poor. In the meantime, I'm going to keep trying to be all the right things I'm supposed to be. I... We get in trouble when we start comparing our actions or really using our actions as a replacement for relationship with the Lord. Because you can go through all the right exercises, say all the right things, read all the right books. You can shake all the hands at church smile at everybody you can do all of those things without the Holy Ghost you can do all of those things without a good relationship with God what did he say to he would say on the last day to those people that in my name you will say in my name we cast out devils in, in, in my name, you fed the hungry. In my name, you did all of these things. But he said, I will say to you, depart from me, worker of iniquity, because I never knew you. So, again, which is more important? Knowing the Lord or doing all the right things? Amen. Knowing the Lord. I, I, I know I'm belaboring this point. But Paul says, I count all of those things loss for Christ. The next verse, verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ. I've got my eyes on one thing. I've got my perspective set on one goal. That I may win Christ. Oh, but how about in the meantime we give you this nice title. Or this nice position. Or we recognize you for all your kind words and actions. 
Not if it's not going to help me win Christ. I'm saying this as your elder, knowing we all have daily situations that we are put in by the Lord or that we are put in by ourselves. And if I don't have the right perspective of that situation, I'm pursuing the wrong thing. I said this on Sunday, I've got to be willing to lose things. I'm, I'm not trying to be too radical, too, you know, extreme for you. But just to make the point, what, what would you not be willing to give up for the Lord? Is there anything? You're not willing. No, Lord, you can have all this and take that and have this and take that. But not this one thing that I've been spending the last five years working towards. Not this desire or goal or effort or what. Not. Mm. You can't have that, but take everything else. You can't. It doesn't work that way with the Lord. This scripture is all things. Until you are able or willing to count all things as loss, you will not be able to follow after God and His Spirit the way He wants you to follow after Him. What does it mean when, when Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross. And follow me. To deny yourself, it really, you've probably heard this before, but it means to say, I'm not in charge of me anymore. The term would be to disavow yourself. And take up your cross. That implies death the way Jesus died. And follow him. Why don't you pray with me just a moment? Lord, God, I'm listening for the sound of your voice. I believe, God, you have things that you want to speak to us as your people, as your children, Lord. Let my ears be open to you and my spirit be open to receive, Lord, the things that you would say to me. I want to be like you, Lord Jesus. The scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I've got this probably kind of a funny visual to go along with this, or maybe seems silly. But it's the visual, the idea of a dangling carrot on a, on a stick, on a string, hanging out in front of you. Maybe you've seen this depicted in a cartoon before. What's the, what's the idea? Why would you do that? 
it's to give the promise of something to get somebody to move in, the, in that direction. In, in, in this kind of cartoon depiction, maybe you put it on a, on a donkey. So he'll pull a, a plow behind him. And so he's pulling and he's doing the work, thinking, oh, I'm going to get that carrot. I'm going to get that thing that's out in front of me. And you're working towards something that's really not realistic. Life can have those in it sometimes. A dangling carrot, carrot in front of you. And you think, well, I see, that, I see that promise on the horizon. I see it coming to fruition someday. I don't know when. But I'm just going to keep walking in that direction. That's different than this verse I want to read you. This, I think the last verse I'm going to read, Hebrews 12 and 2. I want you to contrast that. Something designed to keep you moving forward with a false promise. Contrast that to this verse where it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. First of all, that means we're supposed to consider him as our example and the way that he lived as our example. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I started by saying, well, we're, we're Pentecostal, and we think heaven's my goal, my reward, and so I'm thinking about that. Uh, it's true, and it needs to become really true for us, like it was for Jesus. Because when the scripture says, he endured those things for the joy that was set before him, that was not some false promise, like this visual of a dangling carrot, but this was joy set before him. And he knew, that's in my future. That's the thing I am pursuing. With that as my joy, as my future set before me, I can endure hardship. I can endure shame. I can go through the things that I'm supposed to go through because of the joy set before me. Joy is a secured future. I, I don't like to just try to bash mainstream Christianity, okay? That's really never my goal, and it's, sometimes it's fun, okay? I'll be honest. But it's, that's not my goal. <laughs> I'm being honest. It's, it's fun when the Lord helps us see a point and get revelation, not to be mean. But I do think a lot of mainstream Christianity doesn't understand the idea of joy being a secured future, and instead they try to promote it as something you can come to church and get 
So come to our church and get it. And we'll try to keep people by promoting as much joy as we can promote in the, in the room. Did you get your joy at the door? Come on. Did everybody get your joy at the door? Make sure. Make sure you got your joy. Because I want everybody happy while you're here. Like and share our joy on Facebook. Maybe you'll win a prize. The problem with that is you, 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 can, you can create and generate that some, some of the time. And honestly, however much time you want to devote to it, you can generate it that much. But you're limited. By you, I mean the joy generator. You're limited in how much joy you can literally generate. But we promote it. We, again, mainstream Christianity promotes this as everybody come to our stuff so you have all the joy. I'm telling you again, the joy is a secured future. And what did joy do for Jesus in this verse? It gave him what he needed to endure the hard road that he was put on. Not shake hands with everybody on my way up the hill to Golgotha. How you doing? Hey, I'm glad you're here today. Make, hey, let me pose for a picture real quick. All right, I got enough joy on my way to die. Now, that sounds ridiculous, right? But compare that to what we try to say Christianity is supposed to be. Everybody happy. Everybody smile. There, I, I'm not going to go into this tonight. But there is a difference between happiness and joy. And you can come in here and get happy if I give you a hundred dollars. Some of you need more than that, I can tell. I'm just joking. No, that's momentary. And just like the $100 you spend, the happiness you spend, and it will be gone. But joy is for the future. It is a secured future. I have no greater joy than knowing there's a thousand dollars in the bank I can spend any way I want. No. I have no greater joy than sitting in a new car and that new car smell. No. Well, the scripture says, I have no greater joy than knowing my children walk in the truth. And the, that was written by the Apostle Paul who had no earthly children that was written by the Apostle Paul talking about his spiritual offspring walking in truth. That's my joy. Knowing that we are going to follow truth to its end destination. A secured future. I'm going to read this quickly. 
Because I, I can try. I can try to pump you up about the future as much as, as much as possible. Or I can try to make you all happy in the moment, in the present. But I told you I felt like the Lord is dealing with me about our past. Until you make peace with your past, you will not have peace in your present. And if you don't have peace in your present, you cannot look forward expectantly with joy in a secured future. Because you're focused, maybe focus is not the right word, you're just open to the past. The hurt of the past, the wound of the past, the fear of the past. Joy is the secured future. Peace today is trusting in the Lord, casting my cares on Him, and not taking any worry that I shouldn't take. That's peace today. But peace with my past is healing from all open wounds of my past. If I'm carrying around an open wound from my past, I'm going to have a hard time being joyful about my secured future. Because I'm still hurt. Or because I'm still susceptible to hurt. You can, you've, you've probably heard this illustration before. You can have a, a wound on your hand that's a scar that's been healed for many years. There's no more feeling there. There's no more fear of infection there. It's done. It's scarred. It's healed. I moved on from that. But if it's not treated correctly and stays an open wound, that is a physical ailment that you have to worry about all the time. The same is true in the spiritual. If you've got an open wound, that is a spiritual ailment that you always have to be worried about. Maybe you don't even realize the degree to which it's affecting you but it is and that's from the past it affects the present and it affects the future would you just close your eyes and pray again Lord I pray that you speak to us, Father. God, you know each one of us. You know, Lord, the things we've experienced. You know the things we've gone through, Lord Jesus. God, you are the healer. God, and not just a physical healer, but you heal every wound caused, Lord, by every hurt in the past. Your desire for me is to make me whole, Lord, your desire is to heal and bring wholeness to each one. 
Not that we would carry any of these wounds, God, on a daily basis. God, not that we would be open and susceptible to ailment or sickness or attack, God, because of those things. But your desire is to heal. Father, your desire is to restore and bring wholeness. There is a there is a understanding in scripture that when we talk about peace and wholeness one of the terms really is referring to being put back together. That implies that something was broken. Something was maybe even shattered and all the pieces put back together causes that thing to be made whole. It would be kind of silly if I was missing an arm, but I walked around saying, oh, no, it's good. I'm fine. I'm not worried about that. I don't need it. I can move along without it. I'm doing just fine. When a doctor would say, hey, let me fix that for you. I can help you with that. I can make that whole. No, I'm good. Actually, you know, I don't even I don't even really notice it anymore. I've learned to go along so well without it, that. I, I I'm just wondering how many times when you feel the spirit of God wanting to deal with a situation that becomes the mindset. I'm fine. I can go along without that. I don't need it. I'll move through life as if I'm already whole. There's, there's faith, which is a good thing. And there's denial, which is not a good thing. Faith says, I can, whether the Lord heals it or not, I'm already whole and he's made me who I am. Denial says, what you talking about? I'm not missing an arm. Uh, no, I, I'm good. This is, the, this, is, this is whole me. That's denial. And when the Lord wants to come along and minister and bring healing, if he sees faith, he can work. If he sees denial, well, he's God. He can do anything. But he's probably going to say, are you sure you don't want me to address this? I'm good. I'm fine. Brother Hart, I'm going to turn this over to you. A word that just came to my mind is delusion. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in delusion to my spiritual state. And believe that I have that arm and that it's functional. And I can't help but think with that reference that Elder Flower just made to a body part. I can't help but think about the body. All of us. 
the problem is when you're living in that state, you're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting the rest of what you're connected to. Because it's one body. The arm is not an arm by itself. It could try to go do its own thing. But then it ceases existing because it has no, no life, has no flow. I, I'm going to be really quick. Um, 1 Peter 4, 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. That's, that's future. But it's at hand. It's close. And so the Bible says, Be ye therefore sober. Be ye therefore sober. You know, if you're in delusion, <laughs> that's, that's the opposite of, of soberness. And soberness is a sound mind. It's to be in one's right mind. Or in this case of the body, it's to be in like-mindedness. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And he goes on to say, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Kind of sounds like our week, the progression of what our week is, is going to look like. It's almost like it's biblical what we're being instructed to do. And then jump down to verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Amen. There's, there may be some suffering, maybe some difficulty, but we can have a sober mind in knowing that that's not the end. That doesn't mean that we're off track. It doesn't mean that we're off course. And, um, one other verse here that Elder even referenced is chapter 5, speaking of humbling ourselves, casting our care upon Him. Verse 8 says, again, be sober. And this is speaking about the mind. I'm sure there's probably many in here who have, and don't raise your hand, <laughs> many in here who have probably not been sober because of drink or whatever else and you know what that that's like you can't you can't think straight you can't walk straight can't talk right all because you're not sober and the same goes for not having a sober mind we're not speaking the same things if we don't have a sober mind we're not thinking the same things because we're double-minded 
And it's, I'm sure it's not speaking of a drunk person, but just like a drunk person is unstable <laughs> trying to walk, so is someone who is double-minded. They're unstable in all of their ways because their mind is split, so they're unstable. We're to be sober and to be vigilant, to be aware, to be ready, to be watching, to be looking. Because again, the end is at near. The end is close. And we have to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, he's sober. <laughs> and he has a specific goal. He ha he's as a roaring lion that walks about seeking whom he may devour. But him... You can resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Amen. I want to be sober. I want to have a like mind like you all. And it be the things of Christ. It be things of, of a heavenly kingdom that is to come. Not temporal things, natural things that are passing away, but things that don't pass away. Things that moth and rust can't corrupt. Amen. And we're part of a kingdom that will not pass away, cannot fail, cannot fall. But I believe it's so true. It is what Elder said, we have to, in order to move into the future... We have to deal with our past. And the last thing I'll reference is, is the scripture. It talks about the Lord's not given us, I think it's in Timothy, he's not given us a spirit of fear. Fear of our past, fear of our present, fear of our future. Fear of what in the future may happen that's a repeating of our past. That's usually what the, those unhealed areas are, that, that fear it's, it's a fear that something's going to repeat itself. Something's going to happen again the same way. So we stay closed off. We stay disconnected. We don't get close to people. We don't open up to people. We don't open up to God or allow him to heal and touch that, that area. Because if he could make it better, why wasn't he there the first time? But he's not giving us that spirit of fear. But he's given us a spirit of power, of love. Again, love one towards another. He's given us this spirit to act these things as the body of Christ. If we have the flow of the spirit, it's like the blood that flows through us and brings life to each part that it's connected. So we're flowing in power. We're flowing in love. And when we get a like-mindedness, we're flowing in a sound mind together. And it's that soundness of mind that has a surety of our future, that's, that's certain of what the future holds. And the fiery trials can come, circumstances can come, and they may steal my happiness today, but they're not going to steal my joy because I know it doesn't change the future. Amen. Can we just, can we pray one more time?
Amen. Jesus, we thank you, Father, for your voice tonight. We thank you, Father, for the sound from heaven, for the word, from the words from the throne of God. Jesus, we want to be in one mind and one accord tonight. Jesus, the words, the instruction that you've given our elder from the Spirit, God, we want to be aligned with those things. We want to be aligned together because we want to be a healthy body. We want to be a body, Jesus, that functions in the proper way that it's supposed to function, that produces what it's supposed to produce, Jesus, in these end times, in this last hour that is at hand. Father, we don't want to let the past keep us from our future. We don't want to allow fears, Jesus, and open wounds to keep us from what you have in store. I pray tonight, Jesus, a casting out of all fear. I pray a casting out of all fear in the name of Jesus. Bring our thoughts into obedience, God, by the word of God. Bring them into captivity. Bring them in to captivity by your word father we cast our care upon you in the name of jesus we humble ourselves and we submit to you we submit jesus to your structure we submit to your authority god we know that you're working we know that you're moving we know that your future jesus is around the corner Though we may not see it today, Jesus, we know that it's coming. We stand on your word. We stand on your word and we walk in faith, Jesus. We walk in faith, believing tonight that you will do what you sent your word to accomplish. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. You can stand with me. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Hart, for sharing that. You've got to watch your mind. You've got to watch your mind. I'm going to remind you, if you know this, what are you going to read and study tomorrow? Esther. Amen. The story, the book of Esther. Read it, listen to it. Some of you, if you want to get a head start tonight and read it before you go to bed, that's that's just fine by me. Amen. But we're going to let the Lord speak to us. I'm encouraging you, ask the Lord to teach you what he wants you to learn from the story. Amen. Because if you approach it with that mindset, he will teach you many things. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Greet one another in Jesus' name. Thursday and Friday, what is that day? Acts of kindness and service to others. And Saturday is? Praise Day. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.